Thanks for joining us today on the ReStory podcast. My name is Beth Bruno, and I lead our strategic initiatives at ReStory Counseling, a Colorado-based counseling center of therapists, story work coaches, and spiritual directors. This month, we've been in a series called The Remnants of Purity Culture. And chances are, if you are white, American, evangelical, who grew up in or around the 90s, you know exactly what I mean by that term. Well, I am so pleased to bring you the voices of two of our StoryWork coaches, Michael Cromendike and Lisa Russell, who are really leading us in these conversations. You can catch them in a webinar on the remnants of purity culture over at restory.life slash webinars, or listen in on Michael's episode last week with Zachary Wagner, author of the newly released Non-Toxic Masculinity, where they talk about the impact of purity culture on men. Well, in this episode, Lisa interviews Sheila Ray Gregoire, who is a friend of ReStory. She's one of the expert interviews we have in our Thrive Marriage Lab, where she's talking to couples about her research um, in all of this that she writes about. In her newly released book that she co-authored called She Deserves Better, Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up, Sheila dives into some of the research that she and her daughter and um, friend and co-worker, um, both millennials, did with 7,000 evangelical women. She is also the founder of BearMarriage.com, a website dedicated to changing the evangelical conversation about marriage and sex, and co-host of the podcast of the same name. This conversation with Lisa is so good. Listen in. Let's just start off. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you're so passionate about this issue. Okay. Well, I started blogging in 2008 as a mommy blogger. So I was doing, you know, parenting, housework, organizing. And the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. So I kind of became the Christian sex lady, which is weird. You know, nobody (laughs) grows up thinking I want to be the Christian sex lady, but, but that's what my blog became. 2012, I wrote the good girl's guide to great sex. I wrote 31 days to great sex. I was writing all this stuff, but how to have great sex. And everyone still had the same problems. And I'm like, huh, Well, that's kind of pathetic. Um, And then one day everything changed for me in January of 2019 because I read the book Love and Respect. People were debating it on Twitter. I had it on my bookshelf, but I'd never read it. And I was trying to procrastinate. And I thought this is a great way to procrastinate. And I hadn't read a lot of other evangelical books about marriage and sex because I was always afraid of plagiarizing. And I was like, they love Jesus. I love Jesus. We're all saying the same thing. And I read this. And it was like a nuclear bomb went off in my living room because I realized we are not saying the same thing because he was saying that if your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have. The need is for physical release. If he doesn't get it, he'll come under satanic attack. And there wasn't a single word about women's pleasure or intimacy. Mm -mm. So that started. Yeah, it was it was disgusting. And so women don't need respect. No, absolutely not. Because respect mm-hmm. is all about him having a hierarchy and authority. It's it's gross. So my team and I, which consisted of my daughter and Joanna Swatsky, who are both millennials, um, they were both young moms. Uh, we decided to do the biggest research project that's ever been done in evangelical women's marital and sexual satisfaction to find out, to actually measure the effects of these teachings on, on women's sexual pleasure and rates of sexual pain. And that became our book, The Great Sex Rescue. Mm-hmm. 
which was out two years ago. And that was great. It was received really well. So many people told us, I feel so seen. I feel so validated. But then they also said, now I don't know what to do with my kids because I grew up with all this toxic crap. I don't want to pass the toxic stuff on, but then what do I tell them? And so we did another research project because we're just that insane. Um, We surveyed another 7,000 predominantly evangelical women to learn about their experiences in youth group and as teens in church to find out how those experiences and how the things they were taught impacted them long-term. And that's what became our book, She Deserves Better. So that's kind of a long story to say how we got here. Mm-hmm. And it gives such an, a picture of your personal passion too, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That you yep. desire for something different, not just for you and your daughters, right? But for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We've just done, we've done so much harm. Like evangelical women have twice the rate of sexual pain if not two and a half times the rate of sexual pain as the general population. That's insane. This is our problem. We have I a mean, bigger orgasm gap. This is our problem. Which, which leads me to my next question of like, what, I mean, you surveyed, is it 27,000? 32,000 if you include everything. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, this is a massive study. Uh, lots of research went into this. What were some of your main, I know there's so much that you found from this. What would you say some of the main bullet points are of what you found in your research? I think in general, anything that takes away agency from women is toxic. So anytime we say, you know, a wife is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it, or a wife should have frequent sex to keep her husband from watching porn. So anytime we take away agency, and we say, it's not about what you want. Someone else has the right to use you or you need to do something so that you don't get hurt, which is essentially a coercive message that hurts women. And when we looked at teens, again, similar thing, anytime you tell a girl that she is responsible for the way a boy treats her, you do great harm. What would you say are the major impacts of that harm? Yeah, so we we had several outcome variables that we were looking at specifically with She Deserves Better. Because if you look at purity culture, which existed, and this is roughly from 1995 to 2015. I mean, it's still there. We all know it's still there. They've just changed the wording. And in many churches, it was there before 1995, but it just kind of became mainstream mid-90s. Um, the only thing that mattered was, is she a virgin on her wedding day. So that was the thing that the church was trying to get everybody to do, be a virgin on your wedding day. And they didn't really care about much else. They might say they did, but but their teachings didn't show that they cared. Mm-hmm. What we did was we took, we, we said, let's just back the truck up and ask, what is it that we really care about? I have two adult daughters, both in their 20s, who are both married. One of them is my co-author, Rebecca uh, Lindenbach. She's also the co-host of the Bear Marriage Podcast with me. Um, But I can tell you that on their wedding day, whether or not they were a virgin was way less important to me than thanking God that they were marrying good guys. Mm, Because what I really wanted was to know that they were safe, that they weren't going to be abused and that they were going to have a good marriage. And they both chose really well. They're both really good guys. And so we, our question is, what if there are things that matter 
more than just virginity on your wedding day. Like what if we look at marital and sexual satisfaction long-term? What if we look at the likelihood of marrying an abuser? What if we look at your long-term self-esteem? Self-esteem gets a really bad rap in Christian circles, but self-esteem simply means saying, I know that I have value. I know that my opinions and feelings matter. Not that they matter more than anyone else's, but they do matter. And when women feel like I matter, that has tremendously good results in terms of relationships, mental health, um, ability to keep a job, ability to get a good job, all kinds of things. And so this stuff, this stuff is really important. It's not just important. It feels crucial. Mm-hmm. And if we're not naming the harm that um, the purity culture fostered here, like we're continuing to perpetuate it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I love that you brought up how likely we are to marry an abuser. Unfortunately, in my counseling room, and I know my coworkers and you know, name a therapist who hasn't seen this right now, but is, um, if, if you have grown up in the evangelical church and have been raised in this purity culture, there's a high likelihood that you can marry an abuser. Mm -hmm. Were you finding that in your research? And yeah, so that's the case. Yeah, most definitely. And we found a lot of things are correlated with marrying an abuser. Um, Basically, the more that girls internalize toxic teachings and the more that they feel like I take up too much space, the more likely they are to marry an abuser. So let me give you two weird ones just as examples. And then we'll talk about more of the ones that you might expect. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Being embarrassed of your period. Wow. Huge, huge. That's one of the biggest jumps of likelihood of marrying an abuser. And you wouldn't think so. But here's what happens when girls grow up in families where they don't talk about your body changes, where they don't talk about puberty well, when you can't talk to your mom or your friends about your period because it's something you need to keep secret, it's really embarrassing. You tend to feel like there is something fundamentally wrong with me. Yeah. You know, I, and, and often you don't have words for what's happening to you and you just feel a lot of shame. And when girls feel that way, they're more likely to marry people who also think there's something fundamentally wrong with them. Mm. Whereas when girls are confident, they're less likely to put up with that kind of bad behavior. And they're more likely to know, no, I deserve better than this. So when girls are embarrassed of their period, they tend to be very, they, they tend to have a lot of problems with confidence, you know? So we wouldn't think that's a big one, but like, seriously, just don't make your period a big deal. If you have daughters, <laughs> like <laughs> it's okay to have the pads showing in the bathroom. You know, it's, you don't need to announce to everyone, Hey, I'm on my period now, but like, it shouldn't be something that needs to be kept secret. <laughs> I know? I love that you're saying that because I, more often than not, this comes up in the counseling room all the time, mm-hmm. our stories regarding starting our periods and menstrual cycle. And were we taught how to use a tampon versus a pad mm-hmm. We're even told what was happening? I mean, I have so many clients that have sat on my couch that were mortified that they were dying because they didn't know why they were bleeding all of a sudden yeah. at 14, 15, 16 years old. Yeah. Or they were taught that if you use a tampon, you take away your virginity and stuff like that. There's a, oh, there's gosh. a lot of weird teaching. So that's, that's a weird one. Here's another weird one that you wouldn't think okay. about. Okay. <laughs> girls talk too much. 
we measured the belief, you know, do girls talk too much? So we asked women, when you were a teenager, did you think girls talk too much? And as an adult, do you think girls talk too much? When women believed as a teenager that yes, girls talk too much, far more likely to marry an abuser. What? And yeah, the idea that women talk too much is is a really good measure. Other surveys have found this too. It's a really good measure of something called internalized misogyny, which is when women ourselves think there's something fundamentally wrong with me because I'm a woman. Yeah. And so I don't matter as much because I'm a woman. And so when women believe girls talk too much, what they're really saying is we are a bother and our voices are a problem. And if your voice is a problem, it means your thoughts and your opinions are a problem. Mm-hmm. And so you're likely to marry someone who doesn't necessarily honor your voice or your opinion. And that's just a dangerous situation. Um, interestingly, you're also, this is kind of a weird one. If you believe girls talk too much when as a teenager, then when you're an adult, you're likely to do way more of your share of the housework. So you're much more likely to have a very uneven distribution of labor in your marriage. Gross. (laughs) Because again, you just think I am a bother. And so it's okay for me to take on more of the tasks because I don't matter as much, whereas he does. And so I can't burden him with this. So basically, I'm glad that I talked too much as a teenager, right? (laughs) 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 No, but the funny thing is, girls don't actually talk too much. This has been something that has been taught widely. You're from Colorado, right? So you're you're home to James Dobson. Okay, so in 19... (laughs) James Dobson wrote a book called love for a lifetime. And in that book, he claimed that women say 25,000 words a day compared to men's 12,000. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Smalley copied that. He said, women say 50,000 compared to, to, to men's 25,000. Other people said 12,000 compared to men's 7,000. Like the numbers kept changing and I might have the numbers wrong. It might've been Dobson who said 50, but it's that idea. People sure. kept throwing out these numbers where women said twice as many words a day as men. And Dobson took that to mean ladies. When he gets home from work, he's already said all of his words today. Whereas you haven't. And so you just want to talk at him, but don't leave him be. He doesn't want to hear from you. And so this was the marriage advice that was given. I remember when I started teaching at family life marriage conferences, I taught this too. Mm. Well, guess what? Scientists have actually looked into it. Women and men say statistically the same number of words a day. There is no difference. Mic drop, Sheila. There is no difference. The only time there's a difference is when you have a mixed group of people in a meeting-like situation. And in that case, men say far more than their fair share. And women don't speak up until there are at least 80% female in that group. Interesting. So it's not that women talk too much. It's that our girls need permission to speak up. Yes. I mean, the theme or that I'm hearing is really that our agency has been stolen yep. and, and buried so much. And with the agency comes our voice, mm-hmm. which kind of leads me into this idea of consent. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about what you guys found in, in regards to consent and, and how this uh, purity culture message has fostered sexual abuse and the perpetuation of it. 
Yeah. So this is a really sad one. So we found that only 26% of women said that when they graduated high school, they had a robust understanding of consent. So most Christians do not understand consent as teenagers. And when we looked at it, um, it really seems like during purity culture, the church largely stopped teaching about consent and only taught about abstinence, how you're not supposed to do it. Cedarville University, which is a um, very conservative university in Ohio, got in trouble last month for um, their their consent language that they were trying to teach. Uh, and one of the things they said is that as a Christian university, we shouldn't have to talk about consent. And it's really awkward to talk about consent, but we're required to because of Title IX. Um, <laughs> and so the thought is because the Christian ideal is don't have sex before you're married, then we shouldn't have to talk about it. Mm. But the effect of that when you combine it with the messages that both boys and girls were being given about how boys get out of control was to make girls feel responsible for their own date rapes. And this is what we heard over and over again. And some of our books actually explicitly taught that. Um, we opened our consent chapter and she deserves better with the story of Vera and Vera devout Christian went to a youth group, but was dating a non-Christian. And one day um, she had a migraine, she wasn't feeling well. And while she was almost blacked out, he raped her. And she knew that something was wrong, but she couldn't put words to it. So she went to her youth pastor and his response was, what did you expect dating a non-Christian? And then his wife, who was only two and a half years older than Vera, um, which is a problem in and of itself, oh um, took two pieces of construction paper and glued them together, pink and blue. And when the glue was dry, she ripped them apart. And of course, some of the pink paper is on the blue and some of the blue paper is on the pink. Oh, yeah. And she described how when you have sex, you leave parts of you behind and parts of him will always be attached to you now. And this is why you can't have sex before marriage. Nobody bothered to check whether that was consensual. And for years, she thought that it was her fault. But you see, it makes sense that she thought it was her fault, because that's what our Christian teaching had done. Shanti Felton wrote a book called For Young Women Only, mm -hmm. um, at the height of purity culture. And I'm going to share a stat with you that is not accurate, because <laughs> her question was poorly worded, the possible answers were poorly worded, her analysis of the answers was not accurate. So I don't believe this. But her, her um, conclusion was that 82% of boys feel either little ability or little responsibility to stop in a makeout situation. Mm -hmm. And so her advice was, if you want to stop, it is safest to not even start. 100% of boys have the ability to stop. Absolutely. 100% of boys have the responsibility to stop. Mm -hmm. To tell girls that boys have no ability or responsibility to stop is straight up rape culture. Yes. And puts so much pressure on the women to have to be the ones to not only guard their sexuality, but the males. Yeah. Because what do you expect? He's a guy. He can't help it. His sex drive. He was created by God to, you know, to have a really high sex drive. And so girls, he's the accelerator. You need to be the brakes. And this is what was taught over and over again. And we heard from so many women who had stories of date rape and they didn't know how to name it. Mm -hmm. Because again, so much of the messaging is it's our fault. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not just 
who we are as women, but it's the way we dress. It's our mm -hmm. modesty or lack thereof that incites and encourages. Yeah. And it's not understanding consent. So Kay's story, which we also included in the book, um, you know, so she's, she's with her boyfriend, they're making out and he keeps putting his hands where he's not supposed to. And she keeps saying no. And he'll stop for a minute and then he does it again. And she says no. And after like an hour of this, she realized her no meant nothing. Yeah. And so she stopped saying no. Mm -hmm. And he raped her and it took her 10 years to realize, but I never said yes. Nothing makes my fury more than yeah. that. Like there's also a really disturbing story that we told, and this is actually by one of the authors. So this was this was in a really a, a best-selling book, and I, I won't say who the author is because it's not important, and we don't name her, and she deserves better. Mm. But she tells a story of losing her purity at the age of fifteen, mm. and the way she tells it is, um, he was forcing his desires on her. He was doing things she didn't want to do. Um, she felt like a deer in the headlights, you know, it was strange and she didn't want it, but then her body started to respond. Mm -hmm. And she tells this story repeatedly as the time where she lost her purity and where she sinned. But what she's explaining is classic date rape with arousal non-concordance. Yeah. So Absolutely. she didn't want to, he was forcing her. She was a deer in the headlights, which is the classic freeze response the trauma freeze response. The only thing that she says that, that makes it seem like she thought it was rape, that she thought it was consensual was that she got aroused. So her body responded, but arousal does not equal consent. No. And she has told the story over and over and over again as a story of her sin. Which is just re-traumatizing for her. Yeah. And um, as, as someone who, deals with and and many um, of my coworkers are dealing with people who have been victims of sexual abuse that is the theme mm -hmm. like well I got aroused so I was a I became then a willing participant yeah when it, when there was actually no consent at all yeah and that's even worse for boys especially since you know penetration can't happen without an erection so when they get an erection they think that it was their fault and it wasn't yeah sure it it makes me feel so tender-hearted for men too I know I know we're primarily talking about women here in your books primarily for women um and raising girls but I can't help but like have compassion over so many of these men who grew up in the purity culture that were told that they were basically sexual beasts mm -hmm. that they were incontrollable and um that at a, at a drop of the hat, they could be tempted into lust. Yeah. <laughs> what would you, what would you say to men who have been victims of, of the systems and the culture and often the individuals that are portraying yeah. this message towards them? Yeah. What we saw in our survey of men that we did for our book, the good guy's guide to great sex was that so many men conflate noticing with lusting mm -hmm. and they feel completely helpless. Because the lust message has been given so much, right? Don't lust, don't lust. You can't lust. You can't even look at a woman, bounce your eyes. But we never really taught what lust is. And noticing a woman is not lusting. Being attracted to a woman's figure is not lusting. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. You know, you can notice a woman is beautiful and then think nothing more of it and go on with your day. But when we teach 12, 13, 14 year old boys who are just starting to get sexual feelings, that when they feel that reaction, when they see a beautiful woman that they have already sinned, Mm -hmm. we're condemning them to a life of absolute helplessness. They're going to feel helpless. No wonder we start blaming all the girls around them because they're like, I am helpless if there is any female around me. And so they need to wear burqas basically. Um, even though that doesn't work either, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but we need to have a better understanding that noticing isn't lusting. Mm, Yeah. And it is totally possible for boys to learn to respect women and girls and having sexual feelings is normal. And by the way, girls are attracted to guys too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's something else I've, you know, just been thinking about and, and that often comes up in our counseling sessions too, is that there's this stereotype that, that women don't want sex, that we aren't aroused. And even in some of your research that I was flipping through in your book, like, um, it took um, many years for a lot of women to realize that they can even climax. Yeah. I mean, it's so heartbreaking. And then we wonder why there's so many, um, there's so much conflict in the marriage bed right now. Well, I think it was 40% of women didn't realize that the female orgasm existed until after the age of 19. So if you think about that, assume that most girls learn what sex is by 9, 10, 11, that means that they went through half their life knowing that men could orgasm, but assuming that they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So the assumption is that sex is about the man, not about the woman. And then you get married and that's a, that, that, that sets you up for expecting that sex isn't going to feel very good. And so then if he rushes through and you feel nothing, you don't realize, Hey, we just need to slow down and figure this out and figure out what feels good for me. You just think, okay, this is just something I have to endure. Yes. Yeah. Just, um, covered in shame too. Mm -hmm. Like I, I shouldn't almost like this idea of like, I shouldn't even be aroused. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's shameful in itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you think I'm supposed to like this and I don't. So there must be something really wrong with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, cause everyone says sex is a gift and I don't see what's so great about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I often think about how much our um, sexual interactions, uh, there's, there's no way to separate it from our own embodiment or disembodiment. And so I think so many of us, just based on my experience and who I'm walking with right now, there's been such an exiling of parts of our body and our sexuality and arousal that is, um, that had to be shut off and cut down so early on Mm -hmm. that now um, we don't know how to actually integrate and be fully embodied, especially regarding sex. Yeah, we definitely found that um, the idea that boys will push your sexual boundaries, for instance. Um, So, you know, boys are going to push girls, you need to be the gatekeepers. When women believe that they have a much harder time getting aroused once they marry. Mm -hmm. So when you believe that as a teenager, and you can you can just picture her, right? So 16 year old you, 
you're you're making out with your boyfriend in the basement or whatever and he's having a good time right he's enjoying himself and what's going on in your mind is is he getting too excited where are his hands do i need to stop him yet do i need to stop him yet do i need to stop him yet (laughs) so you're not really there at all you're just several women explained it to us like they were spectatoring or they were judging like they were it's it's like they were outside their bodies looking in Mm -hmm. at what was happening to try to judge what was happening to see whether or not they should stop it yet and then when they got married they had no idea how to inhabit their bodies because they bore the entire responsibility for stopping this when it got too heavy. Yeah. It's devastating. The, yeah. the ripple effect for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I not meaning to monkey jump, but I feel like I can't not talk to you about this idea of modesty and women being the stumbling block. And so much, oh, yes. even, even in my own, story I, I was sharing the other day on a webinar that we did that I was in a high school show choir and we had this partner and we were rehearsing and just I mean pretty innocent it's high school show choir we're not like bumping and grinding <laughs> at all right um although I did kind of like that R. Kelly song a little bit secretly <laughs> don't tell God um about that but I uh, noticed that he was getting aroused and he had an erection and I was mortified growing up in the evangelical church and, and purity culture and everything else. My first instinct was, what did I do wrong? I, mm-hmm. I did something wrong. Um, I was just doing my dance moves. I was just mm-hmm. doing what I was supposed to do in show choir Mm-hmm. And I went home and I'm sobbing and sobbing and, and talk. And luckily I had great parents that I could talk to about, about this. And they kind of giggled and were like, oh my gosh, it's not your fault. But the messaging didn't actually come from my parents. It came more from this, you know, subculture of Christianity, youth group, conf- mainly conferences that I went to, true love weights, all the things that, um, I just sat in my room and begged God to forgive me because somehow I made this guy, this high school boy lust and get an erection while we were dancing. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, I know that you've heard numerous stories mm-hmm. like this, right? And this idea that women have been such a stumbling block for men Mm -hmm. and what we carry and the impact and ripple effect even now into our 30s and 40s what are you noticing how would you speak to that yeah so let me give you the data and then I'll, I'll share a few examples so we measured four different iterations of the modesty message in our book she deserves better so we looked at boys are visual in a way that girls will never understand a boy can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's trying to incite it Girls have a responsibility not to be a stumbling block to the boys around them with what they wear. And a girl who dresses immodestly is worse than a girl who doesn't. So looked at all those things and all of them are terrible. Long-term, just terrible. If you believe the ones, especially about the boys, the boys ones seem to be the worst. So if you believe, you know, boys can't help but lust, boys are visual, you are 68% more likely to marry an abuser. You're 52% more likely to experience sexual pain or vaginismus. 
you know, which is a sexual pain disorder where the muscles of the vaginal wall contract involuntarily. Mm -hmm. And that makes penetration really painful, if not impossible. And evangelical women suffer at a rate of um, two to two and a half times the general population, which is huge. We found, we found about 22.7% of women in the church experience this. Wow. So the modesty message is highly correlated with it because women are feeling my body is dangerous. My body is betraying me. My body is a problem. My body can make me vulnerable to men. And by the way, men are gross. Men are only going to want me for my body. Men aren't going to see me primarily as a person. Mm. And so our view of men and sexuality is also really warped. And it's just like your body saying, why would I want to do that? I need to protect you from this thing, which is dangerous. Yeah. You know, and that's what our body is trying to do. Now it's more multifaceted than that. There's many physical reasons why, like I was a ballet dancer for years. I think that contributed to my vaginismus because I wasn't holding my pelvic floor properly. So it's, it's a very multifaceted thing. Sure. Um, but if, if someone's listening and you do have vaginismus, please get counseling and see a pelvic floor physiotherapist and read the great sex rescue. So <laughs> hallelujah to yeah, all those, those resources. <laughs> yes. But, but let me tell you what, um, our resources told girls about modesty. And I'll start with one of the worst ones, which was, um, secret keeper girl by Dana Gresh. It was a curriculum, um, and a convention and a conference all across North America aimed at girls eight to 12. Hundreds of thousands of girls went to these events um, over the years. And in that curriculum, she had what she called her raise and praise test. So she said to girls, raise your hands. And if any of your belly shows, if your shirt rides up and your belly shows, that's bad because bellies are intoxicating. She then had a conversation that moms are supposed to have with their daughters. And the mom is supposed to say, do you remember what intoxicating means? It's like when you're drunk and get out of control. And God made our bodies to intoxicate men. But you're only supposed to be intoxicating to one man. And so we need to cover up to make sure we don't intoxicate anyone else too early. If you think about that, though, what Dana Gresh did was she told girls as young as eight that their belly has the ability to make a grown man get out of control. Terrifying. I and mean, nobody freaked out. Mind. How did nobody freak out? I don't even understand. Yeah. No, we supported it. And the, yeah. and, and actually they made a lot of money on that. They message. did. Yeah. The capital. They the still capital. are. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been rebranded to true girl now, but they still are. Yeah intoxicating bellies. I mean, the shame of our bodies so early on as early as eight. Yeah. And the feeling that not only is your body dangerous, but men are dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, it puts you in such a bind. Yeah. And normal men are dangerous. So what this essentially does is it tells girls to ignore red flags. Because if they're in a relationship with a man who objectifies them, who watches pornography, who makes comments on other women's bodies, who leers at other women, you don't realize, okay, this is not a good guy. It's you a just normal think, guy. This just is a normal guy. guy. He's just yeah. a guy. This mm -hmm. is what all men are like. It breaks my heart. Um, my older brother is one of my best friends and, and have worked with several guys that I consider brothers. 
and um, thinking that this stereotype is put over them breaks my heart. Like I have just um, almost, I'll say that, almost as much compassion over the men and the bind that they were put in mm-hmm. um, as such young boys. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so uh, um, before we wrap up, there's, a, a, I have to ask, like, uh, especially because I feel like I honestly was a perpetrator of some of this purity culture mm-hmm. because of the way I was raised and what I was taught that this is, this is good. And these rules are set into motion to be for our own good. And, um, and even becoming an absence educator at, mm-hmm. in my early twenties. And so I would be the one going to the schools and I did so many of the metaphors, right. With the rose and the petal, you know, oh, and, yeah. The tape was a primary one I did. You put the tape on the arm and the more you rip off, that's how, how much you're holding everybody's, you can't ever get your stickiness back. You can never bond again. And some of these awful um, metaphors that were used in, in these, and I hold such, I, I feel like I've, I've, leaned into some forgiveness of myself, but I feel like I hold so much grief that I was a willing contributor to this. And I'm even thinking about those moms with great intention that they're bringing their girls to these secret keepers. What would you say to people that have become, have become at some point in their lives participants in this messaging? I would say people do the best they can with what they know. And I did it too. I have taken books out of print that I wrote in 2003, 2004. I have taken podcasts down. Um, We did a big rebrand of my blog last year. We're now baremarriage.com. But when we moved onto that domain, we left 2000 blog posts behind. We didn't bring them with us because I couldn't stand behind what I said before 2018, you know? And it's not that I, I, it's not that I was far from God at the time. It's not that it's not any of that. It's just, I didn't know. You know, we didn't know. And that's okay. I think the big thing is that when you know better, you do better. Mm. Like Maya Angelou said, right? When you know better, you do better. And we need to have grace with ourselves for when when we, we, we need to realize we were victims of a situation often become the perpetrators later, but it, it's because you were victimized. And God always looks at the heart, right? Yes. And he knows that your intentions were good. But once you know what is right, then he wants you to make sure that you do a 180. (laughs) And what I find so discouraging about this work is not how many women taught things wrong in the past, because yeah, all kinds of us did. It's, It's how many of the teachers, the people who propagated this stuff for the last 10, 20 years, the organizations like Focus on the Family who were largely responsible for it. What bothers me is that when you present them with data, they double down Mm. because they're more concerned with platform than they are with with truth and with helping people. Mm -hmm. And I think that really shows where their hearts are. Yeah. What would you say your hope is 
looking forward five, 10, 15 years down the road in this realm. Um, in, in the big picture, so like church, church culture, but also for individuals, what would you say? Oh gosh, I'm going to get all preachy here, but ladies, Bring women, it. we Ooh. need to realize how strong we are Amen. and how many of us there are. Hmm. Like if you, if you look at our surveys, if you, and not just our surveys, but other opinion surveys, there are more people sitting in the pews of toxic churches who believe healthy things than sitting in the pews of toxic churches who believe toxic things. Mm. The healthy people outnumber the toxic people, but we are holding up the toxic churches. We are propping them up because we aren't leaving. Mm. And I'm not saying everyone needs to leave their church, <laughs> but I can't tell you what I, I you know, I, I think God has different things. Like some people are called to stay because some churches may actually change. And, and so, you know, mm -hmm. I think everyone needs to go to God themselves. Cause I, this, I, I do not have an individual word for everybody. I don't think there is a one size fits all, but I, I can tell you what, were, but it's yeah. the truth, right? I can tell you what our data says. Mm. Our data says church attendance is good. Okay. Believing in Jesus is good. In the long run, you have better marriages, better sex lives, better self-esteem. This is such a well-established thing in psychology. They don't even measure it anymore because so many studies have found this. Religiosity is good. But at the same time, we found that when girls internalize toxic messages, all of the benefits of church disappear and they would have been better off not going to church at all. If you look at marital and sexual satisfaction, rates of marrying an abuser. Mm -hmm. And so as parents, we have a responsibility not to let our kids grow up in toxic churches. Mm -hmm. And women, we don't have to settle for this anymore. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have to settle for the toxic stuff. And if you're in a church that won't listen, if you're in a youth group that is, if your kids are in youth group and it is, it is telling all these terrible things about modesty, about consent, you don't need to stay. My kids went to so many youth groups because, well, that's the, that's the cool youth group. There's so many kids there, you know, and we tend to send our kids to the cool places where they have neat activities and great and, and, and awesome, whatever, you know, yeah. but awesome facilities, mm. but those are often the most toxic places. Mm. You know, often the real growth happens in smaller places in, in more community oriented churches, mm. Um, now that doesn't mean every small church is good. Again, please understand y'all need to seek out God for this because everything is different. Okay. Yeah. There's a whole spectrum here. Right. Yeah. But, but, but what there... you're saying is we need to be, we need to know what's being preached to our kids. And yeah. I am a mom of boys. I do not have the privilege of, of raising a girl right now, but it is just as important. It is. Know what's being spoken over our kids today. Because if boys are growing up with this all men struggle with lust message, they are far more likely to have prob problems with porn later. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's toxic. And so just remember there's more of us than them. Mm -hmm. And what would happen if we all just stopped? Yeah. What would happen if you took three, four, five of your best friends who are also upset with what your church is teaching and you went and joined this little church around the corner that is just looking for people to breathe new life into it? but is filled with older women who love making cookies and, and inviting people over for potlucks and just 
showing amazing hospitality. Mm-hmm. You know, what would happen if we looked at some of the smaller churches or at some of the other forms of church, or I don't even know, but we know church is good. I'm not saying give up on church, but we need to realize that a lot of the current evangelical church is hurting people. Mm-hmm. And many of our leaders don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you say, don't you think there's a parallel that so many of us have as women have, um, married abusers, but we're also in abusive churches. Yeah. I mean, there, there, I don't know how there can't be a parallel there. Well, and that's what we talked about. There's, there's one chapter, I think it's chapter four and she deserves better where we, we, we talk about how to recognize toxic people, but also toxic systems and churches. Yeah. Like you, you need to raise your daughter to be able to disagree with you so that she can disagree with other people so mm-hmm. that she'll know that if she's ever in a situation where she's not allowed to disagree that's not a safe place so that she'll leave the toxic workplaces. She'll leave the toxic churches. And most importantly, she will leave the toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. Recognize red flags. I mean, if we can raise kids, girls in particular, but raise kids to know the red flags. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have to know the red flags ourselves. Yeah. I mean, so much of, of what we do at Restory is um, looking back into our stories to recognize the, the harm and the trauma and understand how we see our lens presently. Yeah. And so, um, and, and I guess I'm saying that because even though this book, you know, the title says Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up, as I'm reading it, Sheila, I'm like, this is, this is for every woman. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) many, so many people in our launch team said, I'm just reading this to reparent little 15 year old me. I don't even have any daughters. I'm not even married, but I just need to reparent myself. (laughs) There's so much healing. And and I can say from my own personal and professional experience that, that this is the book that we read right now. I'm just handing it out like crazy right now. Cause I think this, there is a shift that's happening in our culture. And I just want to thank you for being a pioneer and stepping out in this way and being a holy disruptor. When I think of you, I think holy disruptor. And that is what we need. And we need to be rippling that out, right? Not just to our daughters. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer, even though I'm a parent, a mom of boys, I'm a mother of a lot of women. I mother a lot of women. We all do. Mm-hmm. That's what we're created for. And so if we can raise each other to resist toxic teachings on sex, self, and reclaiming our voice and our choice, like there's a massive impact, not just for us as women, but really on the kingdom yeah. of God for his glory. What I keep feeling, the phrase that I keep thinking is they can't steal my Jesus. I feel like, I feel like the church tried to steal my Jesus by making him seem angry at me all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and by making him put strange rules on me mm-hmm. and not knowing that I mattered, telling me I needed to be small, be quiet. I take up too much space. Whereas Jesus wanted me to celebrate my voice. <laughs> well, and I think that's where I'm most grieved. Um, as I was reading your book, I, I dog-eared. Um, and keep coming back. They, you have uh, some figures 
on page 40 and 41. This is where you have oh, yeah. <laughs> the word clouds. The <laughs> so this is all, um, you know, the the common words in the New Testament and, and the words that are most used in the New Testament are bigger and, and so on and so on. And then on the page 41, right next to it, it actually, it makes me laugh and cry all at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. like laugh in, in a sense of like, I can't even believe this actually is ex exists. Right. But the Christian materials for teen girls it with the same with words and the discrepancy is absolutely insidious. The new mm -hmm. Testament words are things like Jesus is big and bold, Lord, love, faith, pray, believe, glory, peace, Holy spirit, gospel, kingdom of God, joy. <laughs> and then you have the Christian materials for teen girls and the words that pop up love sex, mm -hmm. weight, tempt, purity, pure, marriage, husband is a huge word on there. If mm -hmm. you guys own this book, which you just need to go buy, I don't care if you have girls or not, you just need to own it. Look at page 40 and 41. And I think what I'm getting to is the thing that I'm grieving the most is what we missed because this was put on such a pedestal. Yeah. What would you say were this, were some of this major things we missed? I think we missed, I think we, I, it's going to sound silly, but I think we missed the gospel. We missed the whole point. And I think the reason that so many people are staying in toxic churches is because they'll say, but they at least have the gospel. Mm. It's like if our version of the gospel is I need to believe in Jesus so that I don't go to hell and that's it, we've missed the point mm -hmm. of what life is about. Because Jesus said, you know, when you're trying to choose between, when you're trying to figure out if, if someone is a false teacher, mm -hmm. he said, you look at the fruit because a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And so you recognize things by their fruit. And what I can tell you is that we have measured the fruit mm. and the fruit of this stuff is terrible. And so if you're saying, but I need to stay in this church because at least they have the gospel, mm. Jesus would disagree with you mm. because he says, no, if it is a good tree, it can't be bearing bad fruit. That's how you tell if something is a false teacher. And so does it really have the gospel if it's teaching things that hurt people? that make us small, that bring us shame, that perpetuate abuse, mm. that cause sexual pain. Mm. Is that really the gospel? Or is it more a religion of control? Mm. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There is a gospel. And the kingdom of God is beautiful. And we just need to find people who are running after Jesus and run with them rather than trying to fit ourselves into a box mm -hmm. that we've been told represents the real gospel when it doesn't. Right. Mm. I mean, I just come back to John 10, 10 so often. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But mm -hmm. but our, our Jesus, our God has come to give us life and life abundant. 
Yeah. It's essentially what you're saying. What has and we will happen? and we will hear his voice and we will know his voice and his voice does not bring shame. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amen. Do you have hope? I do. You know, I don't know what I would have said if you'd asked me that like two months ago when I was really tired. <laughs> but we we had thought the Great Sex Rescue was going to be our big book. And this was just kind of like our secondary book that we were writing. Sure. Um, and honestly, the Great Sex Rescue is amazing. Like, I love the Great Sex it's Rescue. It's so good. It's changed so many lives and marriages, I will just say. <laughs> but but she deserves better as selling better. And I wasn't expecting that. None of us were. But I think what that's telling me is that women, we know we matter and we're tired of being told we don't matter. And I'll tell you when women, when we get together and when we stand up and when we say, no, we need Jesus, this needs to stop. I think we'll be able to make a real change Mm -hmm. because we can. Jesus always changes things with those who don't have power. Yeah. He never, he didn't go in and, and talk to the Pharisees that much, except to yell at them. He, he got this band of misfits around him, people that, that society thought weren't important, mm. but they were the ones who saw Jesus. And right now the evangelical church is telling women, you aren't important. Your abuse doesn't matter. Your voice doesn't matter. You just need to get in line. Yeah. But Jesus is saying, no, you are of infinite worth and you matter. And he's going to fight for us. And I think more and more women are realizing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to hold on to hope there. Mm-hmm. Look at the life and who Jesus is. That we can lean into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't thank you enough. I I want to hang out. I want to go out for drinks. <laughs> um, if you're from Colorado, come yeah. Drink, commiserate and validate mm-hmm. <laughs> all the things together. <laughs> Um, tell us and our view, our viewers, where to find you. Yes. I'm at baremarriage.com, B-A-R-E marriage.com. My bare marriage podcast is every Thursday. It's super fun. Um, if you click on books on the website, you'll find great sex rescue. She deserves better. All our, all our books. Um, and my socials are there. My Instagram's quite fun. <laughs> so I'm quite active on Instagram and Twitter. So I'm obsessed. Yeah, come with check Instagram. me. Out. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's so great. So engaging. Um, Thanks for being a pioneer. I would say she deserves better is not just for women of girls. This is, and it's not just for women. It's, it's for men alike and, um, to be knowledgeable in all of this is what we need to move forward and, and shift the tide for the kingdom of glory. And that is, that is worth fighting for in all these ways. Thank you for being a warrior in the way you are, Sheila. Here's the thing. If you are resonating with any of this conversation, please, please know you are so normal. It's why we're leaning into this topic. After the webinar that Lisa and Michael hosted, someone wrote in and said, there was a point that it was hitting home too hard and it brought me to tears. We need so much healing in this area. Thank you for this. It was such a gift. So I really want to encourage you to go listen to that webinar if you still want more. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about our work or start the process of diving into your story, reach out at restory.life. Thanks again for listening in. I'm Beth Bruno, and I'll catch you next time.